Hi, I'm Valerie Steele, Director and Chief Curator of the Museum at FIT, the most fashionable museum in New York City. Welcome to our Fashion Culture podcast series, featuring lectures and conversations about fashion. If you like what you hear, please share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag #FashionCulture. I'm Emma McClendon, Associate Curator at the Museum at FIT and organizer of the exhibition The Body, Fashion and Physique. I'm thrilled to introduce the documentary Straight Curve, which offers an unflinching look into the world of straight and curve modeling and considers the broader impact of the fashion industry on cultural body image ideals. I'm going to be joined on stage by the film's director, Jenny McQuayle, as well as former editor-in-chief of Red Book, Meredith Rollins, so we'll give you all a chance to jump in and ask them some questions. I'm going to start us off. I mean, first off, the film is just so powerful. There's so much going on. There's so many layers, so many things to talk about. I'm going to start with something really basic, Jenny, to you. What inspired you? How did you come to this topic? And what was the process like putting it together? So uh, I, I think this film was, was made for anybody who has ever looked in the mirror and really just felt not good enough. And, you know, for me, it was really, really important to, to talk to the young girls in the film, the, the students, about, you know, what we as adults are doing to them with the imagery that we're putting out in the world, with the, the kind of messaging that we're putting out in the world and really hearing firsthand from them what their issues are and their insecurities are. And I think that really grounded the film in... Um, you know, why we should care. And I think, you know, it's a film that's told through the lens of the fashion industry and the media because I really do believe that at the crux of this issue, the fashion industry really is at the beating heart of it. And I think that to create real and lasting change, we have to start in the fashion industry and then for those images and, and fashions to be reflected in the media and that can then definitely impact society at large. And I think kind of the, the motivation was was rooted in in body image but had to be explored through, through fashion. And... Um, the process <laughs> was quite interesting. Um, it has been about three and a half years since we first started. So even since we started to film this, a lot has changed. You know, I'm sure that you guys in this audience know that we've moved even further than we had when we started um, shooting the fashion shoot, which is almost two years ago in this uh, film. So I feel, you know, really, really good about that. That we are we are moving, but. You know, I think the process was incredible. We had the, the fashion industry really opened up to us, which was really, really important to be honest and true and to tell the true story of what is going on. Um, and then we were incredibly lucky. Epics, the, the movie studio, uh, basically bought the film off the first 10 minutes, which is unheard of. <laughs> so that was amazing. Um, and now it's incredible. We've spent the last year going into schools and colleges and really kind of our educational campaign is really, really important to me. And, and that's been really successful. And now we're moving into uh, international. So there's some exciting news coming up in some countries around the world, so stay tuned. And, and we're releasing on iTunes and Amazon at the end of May, which is incredible. So people can finally be able to see the film. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, it, that's the it in a nutshell. Fantastic. And Meredith, turning to you, because so much of the film is about image making and magazines kind of being a key 
focus that runs throughout, and you have extensive experience in magazines. And I was just hoping you could speak a bit more about that. Obviously, we saw you in the film, and if you could speak a bit about your particular experience, since you came not necessarily from a typical fashion background. Right. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd worked at a bunch of different fashion magazines. Um, I'd been at Harper's Bazaar and W, and then Lucky for a long time before I came to Redbook. And when I became editor-in-chief, one of the core things that was important to me um, when I was thinking about the audience for the brand and how I wanted to change the brand was for it to feel like you could find yourself in the, in the pages. Mm. And 10 million readers who touch the magazine in one way or another every month. And it just felt like, well, if we're not talking to most of them and we're not actually giving them good advice about what to wear and, and, and they're not looking at the pictures and they look anything like them, then what, what's the point? Because there are plenty of images out there to make you feel less than or to be, you know, aspirational, as we call it in the industry, but there's not a whole lot that really speaks to how you actually are going to live in your clothes. And, and that goes for, you know, beauty content, all sorts of other things. It, t it touches everybody's lives. But, but, you know, the average American woman is a size 16, and if we just pretend that's not the case, then we're doing a disservice to her and we're doing a disservice to ourselves too. Did you find any pushback? in wanting to, yeah. to implement changes to reflect more of uh, what women actually look like in the pages of various magazines. Yeah, I mean, the first time that I really had total editorial control was when I was the editor-in-chief, so I could sort of do what I wanted to do, which is nice. Um, but, you know, I did, I got, I definitely got pushback. I got, I remember there was an older gentleman who had retired but was still um, affiliated with the corporation where, that, that owned Redbook. And he took me aside at one point when we first, in our September issue, we would put real women on the cover. And um, he pointed to one of them in particular who was a size 20. He was like, you know, nobody wants to see that. I was like, actually, it's, it outsold half of our celebrity covers. So really... People do want to see it, and and I was so, you know, it was like this 80-year-old guy, and you don't want to be offensive on the one hand. You can't shake him. But um, <laughs> but also, it was, but it just is, there is this kind of received wisdom that it's not, that, that people only want to see one thing. They may not look in the mirror and see this thing, but this is what they want to see in the media, and it's just not, it's just not true. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask one last question before I get to this, which is something we'll probably build on throughout these questions, but in thinking specifically about images and, you know, kind of coming out towards the end, Iskra had that point, you know, that we are the ones who buy these magazines, right? You know, so what would you kind of, to that effect, give advice to sort of how we can affect change? You know, I know Jenny probably have some ideas on what we, and even we in the audience, can do. Um, yeah, sure. Like, I think this is a really interesting audience. I think um, as FI, the FIT community, I think demanding more inclusive courses from your college is a really great move. Um, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. But I think telling people in, that are in charge of making these decisions that you want to be representative of everybody, no matter what kind of content that you're creating. And I think that's really important. And then you have control. You know, fight the standards. Say no do something different. And also, you know, I think that we have a voice now that we didn't have, as Brian Beitler says in the film, 
with social media. And, you know, along those lines, we've decided to, to launch a campaign with Straight Curve called the I Want to See campaign, which we encourage, I think we gave flyers out to people. So it's basically encouraging everyone, tell magazines, tell brands, tell designers what you want to see more of. Tell them how they can be better and how they can represent you. Also, you know, tell them what they're doing wrong in a gentle way and, and tell them what they're doing right. Celebrate the people who are getting it right, because I think that's equally as important and I totally agree with that because I mean people do you're you're essentially voting with your pocketbook right so if you um, you know if you see something in a magazine that you love don't just leave it on the newsstand go out and buy it or you know write a letter to the editor-in-chief or you know put up a, a tweet post post the picture on Instagram like there are ways to give feedback that people are paying attention to they're really listening to and often I feel like when you're creating content you're creating it sort of in a vacuum and so any bit of feedback that I got I mean I was basically on a sort of a crazy mission anyway so there was that but I also think that when I got great feedback about it it made a huge difference and it also helped then when you know my corporate bosses would say well these kinds of shoots are too expensive because you're using real women in them and then you've got to fit all the different ones as opposed to the sort of cookie cutter like everyone's a size zero um, and I could go back and say yeah but look at this response you know look at the social media response look at selling so those metrics really do matter. You've got a voice and you have, you know, whatever, 399 in your you pocket. You would read those, right? Oh I my mean, god, yes. Right. And Meredith away. was the editor-in-chief. So brands, they have hired people now to scroll through their social media feeds to take note of what you are all telling them because you guys are the customers. Mm -hmm. And I know this for a fact. And now you've just heard that editors-in-chiefs of magazines are reading your comments. So use your voice. Tell them what you want to see more of. And that's what this, this flyer is about. And you know, you can fill in the blank, you can take a picture of yourself, your face doesn't have to be in it, but tag the brand, tag the magazine, tag whoever you want to speak to with this, this photo in this campaign and, and tell them what you want to see more of. I'm going to get to some questions from the audience because we've got a big stack. <laughs> um, the first is just a question to all of us, sort of Jenny in particular, just since you created this documentary to touch on this subject, have you dealt with body shaming yourself and how have you dealt with that? How have you reacted to it? Wow, so I've been screening this film for a year and that's the first personal question I'm being asked. Yeah. But I'm okay, I'll, I'll go there. Uh, I know. Um, yeah, of course I've, I mean, I, is there anybody in the world who hasn't been body shamed? Come on. So yes, of course I have. And I think that I, I'm probably the worst culprit. I walked in here this evening with my friend and I told her that I couldn't find something to wear this evening because I hated how I looked and everything. So even after being with this film for three and a half years, I still feel that way every single, not every single day, sorry, but sometimes. And that's because it's a journey. There's no way that we're ever going to get to a place where we feel 100% confident in our bodies every single day. It's, it's constantly an evolution, and I think um, knowing that has really helped me, and I think I learned that through making this film, that it's not kind of a journey. It's definitely, or sorry, it's not a destination. It's definitely a journey, and we're our worst body shamers, so just give yourself a little bit of a break. And 
what has really helped me is populating my Instagram feed with people who look a little bit more like me in a bikini or just are a little bit more positive and just seeing that imagery every single day when you're scrolling does wonders for your psyche. Have you been body shamed, Meredith? Yeah, I mean, everybody hates something about themselves. I mean, it's like two, two kids later and nothing's in the right place, really. But, you know, that's just, I have two kids to show for it. And, and you know, I mean, I think that part of it is knowing what you're, knowing what you feel confident in. And getting a uniform, you know, not a literal uniform, or, or a little, or, or one, if that's what you want to do. But, you know, just finding where your confidence lies, finding stuff that fits you. And that, I think, is the bigger question, which we sort of, which, which you touch on, um, and Tim Gunn touches on in the, the film, which is, you know, things aren't cut for women of different <coughs> body types. And so, it partly is finding the thing that works for you and giving people, you know, in a magazine or as a style blogger, sort of talking to them about what's going to fit and what's going to look good on their, their body. But also there's a real responsibility in the industry to come up with, it, with items that are actually going to fit not just a cookie cutter size. Because fit is everything. I mean, that, that's what's going to give you confidence. It's what's mm. going to make you feel better about your clothes. Mm. So we have a question that addresses, I think, a very important thing in the industry, which is that the writer sees a lot of diversity in campaigns and even product that's being sold in online-only companies. And um, it, give an example of pinup girl clothing, um, but obviously there's many others. And what factors do you think contribute to this greater diversity in the online and smaller brands that is a reason for maybe why it's not occurring in larger brands? Um, unfortunately, I think that there's still a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, that water went down the wrong way. Um, I feel like there's a lot of shame and stigma attached to this subject matter still. I think, you know, a, a secret that I don't tell many people, but as we were making this film, our stylist really struggled to find clothing to put our models into. Um, we had shoe designers say no because they didn't want their shoes seen on plus size women. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the shame and the stigma is real. <clears throat> and I think that is unfortunately one of the excuses we heard the most when it comes to retailers and saying, you know, they, they put their plus size clothing kind of in the basement or in the top floor of Macy's or whatever it may be. And, I think that's slowly starting to change, but it's not fast enough, and it's, it's, it's never going to get to the place where it's definitely on par and equal with, with all sizing, which really sucks, and I think it is mainly because of the, the shame attached to it, and brands think that they will dilute their brand by being inclusive and diverse, and I hope, you know, one of the biggest missions with this film is to show brands that that's total BS, and, you know, we show Aerie in the film, and their bottom line increased by 32% by being inclusive and by empowering women, not by speaking down to us, not by telling us like, oh, if you spend your money on this, you'll get really skinny or you'll look what you're meant to look like. That it just doesn't work anymore. I think that we, as women, are way more empowered than we were back in the, you know, Mad Men advertising era. And you know, we demand more now, and it just doesn't work for us. But for some reason, brands are not realizing this yet, and I think it has to happen, and it has to happen faster. No, I agree. I mean, the shopping experience, if you are, um, 
you know, if you're a curvier woman is, is, is a misery. And so I think that, you know, there's, there's this feeling that you're going to have a terrible retail experience. You're going to be wandering around some, you know, non-existent floor of Bloomingdale's looking through, you know, crappily sourced racks, and so why do it in person? I mean, the downside with that, of course, is that when you're able to try on clothes in person, then you really get a sense of what brands are cutting for you and what might fit you and, and the rest of it, but, but it's true, Jenny's exactly right, the retail, the re retail ecosystem just hasn't caught up with it yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two of the designers that you featured, Christian Siriano and Becca McCarran-Tran of Chromat, I mean, they're some of the most outspoken designers in this space. We recently had them here. They're both in the show across the street. We recently had them here to speak, and they were both very open about this struggle with retail. You know, that in a video that we shot for the show, for the show uh, Christian speaks about when he first started to collaborate with Moda Operandi. And they didn't even have it in their algorithm to sell up to size 26, which he creates his line to, that he had to work with them, had to have meetings, had to have them recode their site so that they could actually carry his line. And Becca even spoke about how it wasn't until this last season that she had a retailer buy past a size large. You know, that even though she's, she holds some of the most diverse runway shows out there, that even though she's creating samples and doing all that hard work in the studio and changing the images and all of this stuff, that all the stock she was working with were just buying extra small through large. You know, so that, that is another, in addition to the images, it is that conversation about what's going on in the retail space. You know, what's actually there? You know, what's the diversity behind the scenes in the retail spaces too? You know, who's thinking about this there? I mean, all of these are different layers to the industry. Yeah, I think there's a myth that plus-size women don't spend money on clothes. Mm, um, mm -hmm. It's pervasive, and it's wrong, and Ugh. use your piece of paper to tell people that it's wrong, because it's ridiculous. But I've heard it so many times that it just angers the hell out of me at this point, and I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's like, well, of course they're not spending money, because you don't give them clothes to spend their money on. I mean, come on. Like, oh, yeah, no, one reviewer of the exhibition, one of the first things that got written up was very positive, except then they talked about this moment where Christian talks about this collaboration with Moda Operandi. And he names, he says explicitly in the video, where is Gucci, where is Dior, where are these big brands? You know, we're the small ones doing this. And the person in the review said, it's unclear to me what woman of a larger size would be able to afford Gucci or Dior, much less want to wear it, and it was, it was so, I mean, it was one of the first things that got written, it was so disheartening to me, because they just completely missed the point of what the whole show was about, but it, it speaks to what you're saying, there's this pervasive stigma and this attitude about consumers, about what people want to see, you know, what people are going to buy, kind of how fashion functions in society that just really need to be opened up. The conversation just really needs to, to expand. I think I'm going to say one more thing. Um, <laughs> the retailers think that women let me get this right, won't spend the money because they attain to be smaller. So basically, like, we're constantly, if you're a larger woman, you're constantly living in a world where you are aiming to be smaller, so you're never going to spend money on that piece that's a size 16, 18, because you are going to still fight to be that size 12. So that's the concept and the thinking, and I think as we become more empowered, 
And as we kind of use our voices more and show that, no, actually we feel empowered at this size, we're gonna, like, we're okay, we're gonna stick, and now we want some clothes, please. That's maybe what will help change this conversation. Um, one uh, comment and question that is here, which I think is an important one to bring up, is that they say, can we talk about VBO, visible belly outline? All these plus size models still have flat stomachs. No one has front bulge. When will we see that? Is that something we, can, we still can't accept? And I think that this is an important thing to bring up because, you know, the body positivity movement the conversations that we're having, the movement that we're seeing with models like Ashley Graham and Iskra and all of this is very important, but there's still so much work that needs to be done. Um, I, I think that this is a very important point to bring up, the fact that most plus size models that we see out there have hourglass figures, right? That they're fitting into a very particular view of how we feel, that tends to align with how we feel ex okay to see a curvy body, right? You know, I just wonder if you can speak to, because, you know, these are conversations, these hard conversations are what we need to kind of have about the state of the industry. Sure, I agree. I mean, I think I wouldn't say Philomena or Jenny. I think we saw some belly yeah. rolls. They made me happy. Um, and, and Tess Holiday. So, uh, you know, she, Tess is is repping it in the film. She wasn't in the photo shoot because she had a baby at the same time as we shot the photo shoot. Um, so, you know, she was producing something else. Um, we, we, you know, went as, honestly, we went as large as was available at the modeling agencies. This is something else that kind of needs to be talked about. And I think that it is now starting to evolve a little bit, but the reality is agencies don't really rep people above a size 16, 18. Maybe they're starting to expand a little bit more now. So when it came to, to quote unquote, casting the girls in the film, you know, that was kind of our boundary and our restriction. But I think that by all means, we need to be having conversations about women that are larger. And that's why it was so important to get Tess and her voice in the film. And I think there's many more women out there who can speak to this subject matter. And I, I think it's it, nobody, I hope that nobody is saying, oh, it's so great to be plus size, or it's so great to have this conversation, but only if you fit that new box that we're creating for you. I really, really hope that that's not where we land, and I, I have a sense that it isn't. I have a sense that there's enough women out there speaking up at a multitude of sizes and, and from different backgrounds, different body shapes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great bloggers out there now as well, and I think that there's enough voices to kind of really scream through the, the box. What do you think? I agree. I mean, I think that, I mean, the, bot the bottom line with modeling agency is that they represent models. And, you know, whether you're a straight-sized model or a, a curve model, you're still, you know, you're probably six feet tall. And everything is exactly where it should be, whether, you know, whether it's a larger size or, or not. Um, you know, when we, we uh, shot Jenny Runk for the swimsuit issue, we always shot a size 16 or 18 girl for our swimsuits, it would be, we'd do lots of still lives, then we'd have maybe six or eight suits on the, on figure, and it was usually because those were as many as we could get, um, just because it would, it's hard to get samples, it's hard to, it's hard to find, um, even some brands like ASOS Curve, they don't actually make samples for the ASOS curve stuff. Like, it's really hard to get your hands on the merchandise if you want to shoot it. Um, 
which is, which is limiting. But it's true, I think that Jenny's point about style bloggers, when you actually follow some of these women on, on Instagram and you look at how they're putting their outfits together, it's incredibly inspiring. I mean, it was for me as an editor, and we would often shoot them in the magazine because it just felt like they really know their bodies and they can be a size 20 or 22, and they're piecing things together in a way that we just didn't have the resources to do in the magazine as, as terrible as that is. So that's a good place to go for inspiration. And it's, again, it certainly was inspiring to me. Just given where we are, I was wondering if you guys could speak, and this is a question, you know, if you have any tips, you know, tips for uh, aspiring fashion model, you know, and thinking about navigating this body image space, tips for aspiring fashion professionals in any sector of the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're an aspiring model, again, social media now has created this incredible platform and visibility, so being true and authentic is absolutely what is happening right now, what is selling right now, what is key right now. So I think that, you know, if you're trying to to put yourself out there, develop your own sense of identity, your own sense of brand, and but be true and authentic. Don't, you know, it, it you can smell BS a mile away, I think, and, and agents can smell it, brands can smell it. So that's if you're a model, and I think if you're a photographer, and if you're creating imagery, you know, this statistic in the film that our brain processes images 60,000 times faster than words was shocking to me. So keeping that thought with you every single day as you create this imagery that is pervading our minds everywhere we go, um, I think that that's really, really important, and I think hire women. If you're a man in the audience, hire women. Help, you know, create more diversity behind the lens. Create more diversity on your board. Create more diversity in your brand, whatever it may be. Bring women to the conversation so that they can help you be better to create content and create clothing for them. Because, you know, if we're not, you know, if we're not represented at the board table, like at a board meeting, we can't be a part of the decision making. And I think that's really, really crucial as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the the most the best thing I did at at Redbook in terms of my staffing was to have people of all ages and all all ethnicities and all sizes because you there is some unconscious bias that we all bring to the table. So having a group of people around you who are different than you is incredibly important. And I agree. When I was coming up in magazines, there was no social media. There were rocks and tablets. It was really cool. <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, there wasn't a way for you to get your voice out there. And I think that, again, Iskra is a, is a perfect example of this. She was never a, a huge fashion model. She just had a huge online following. And that's what be begat her, mat, you know, meteoric rise to... to stardom is that she has something now like two million Instagram followers. Four. When I Good first, God. yeah, I first met Iskra three and a half years ago um, in a friend's kitchen. We interviewed for the teaser before it's not in this film. And she had 20,000 followers on Instagram and now she has over four million. So that's in the last three and a half years yeah. and exactly that. She basically decided to put herself out there in a way that is very raw and she doesn't care. She's like, this is me, these are my flaws, this is how I feel. You know, you accept it, you like it or you don't. And by, by doing that, people felt her, the connection to her. And I traveled with Iskra to, um, 
a college in Atlanta, and I saw the impact that she had on some of these college students, and it was incredible to me. I wouldn't have believed it, honestly, if I hadn't seen it firsthand. But these women, these men were coming up to her and just saying, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And these guys were coming up saying, you know, my girlfriend loves you. You've made her feel so much better about herself. You know, our relationship is stronger because of it. And these other girls were coming up and just crying and just telling her that they'd never felt seen before or they thought that their struggles were, you know, happening only to them. And it's just this incredible platform. And I think that using it wisely is, is key. And it, but it's, it's something that it's, if we harness it, it's, it's a tool for greater good, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. So I'm... I think we only have time for probably one more question after this. I'm going to address one quick question first because it's about FIT, and so I don't think they can speak to it. But just given that there was that point about education in there, we have had a question about what FIT is doing. Um, and we do, I'm happy to say, have a lab here that has dress forms up to size, I think, 24. We have a professor here in our technical design department, Deborah Beard, who's very active in this space, teaching plus size from a technical design perspective. And there's been a lot of programming, particularly in the last year. She's very close with Emmy, who was in the film, uh, to bring more of this conversation and visibility to that sector here on campus. And kind of partnering, she was, Deborah Beard was on our advisory committee for the exhibition. So FIT is trying really to integrate these conversations and bring it both from these kind of forums, but also the work that students are doing on campus in the lab as well. So just speaking awesome. to that. Good job, um, good job. And then um, the last thing, just to sort of end on, obviously your film is so inspiring, but in thinking about other sources and kind of what people can look to for inspiration in this space, whether it be books or particular Instagram accounts. You mentioned Iskra. You know, what would you recommend to people who want to get better educated on this topic? Um, I think better educated on this topic. I, for me, education comes from uh, social media. I just, I'm just i going to keep talking about it. I mean, I really feel like it's where everybody's having these conversations right now. And I know it can be a really scary place for some people if we're not used to it. I honestly don't even know how to make an Instagram story myself. So, and that's true. Um, so <laughs> So, but yet I still use it. And I think, you know, we actually, the, the Straight Curve film platform has evolved from the film and we really decided that we wanted to make it a brand where it was for women in general. So we started to have conversations about pregnancy. We started to have conversations about motherhood and putting images out there that just go some way to making your day that little bit better. Um, and I think that all of the women in this film are incredible. I think that there's magazines out there now, like Red Book is, is still incredible. Glamour Magazine is doing a lot. Teen Vogue is incredible, as we all know. Lipstick and politics. And I think that it's, it's definitely starting to diversify. I mean, in terms... if The one thing that I always say if you're a parent is trying to harness social media and, and understanding it is really, really, really important because no matter what you think about the platform, your kid is going to grow up in a social media world and you burying your head in the sand is not going to help. And I think learning how to use the platforms, Instagram kind of in particular right now, um, 
and also helping curate your feed. The biggest thing with social media is we have the power. We create and curate our feeds, so we control what we see every single day. So if you have a child, you can you can help curate there. You can add images and people and more kind of positive role models onto your kids' feeds and onto your own feeds. So that as I was saying, every day when you're scrolling and you're seeing hundreds or thousands sometimes of images every single day, and if 10% of those images can be a little bit more positive or have different messaging or just be from different people who you are maybe not culturally familiar with, like that is incredibly empowering and enriching. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that that um, I can't really necessarily point to a, you know, like the perfect book to read or the perfect magazine to pick up or, you know, necessarily even the, the best social media influencer to follow, but they're out there. And once you start looking for them, you find more of them and you see who they're following. And, and it's true, you can curate the content that's coming across the transom for you to give you things that are gonna make you feel better about yourself and make you have a wider worldview. And I think really the most important thing for any of us right now is just to feel like we're listening to other people's stories, we're keeping an open mind, and we're not allowing you know, a, a certain set of decision makers just to feed you the same images over and over again. There's such a huge world out there and it's really accessible now in a way that it never was before. And it's incredibly inspiring once you start. I'm gonna give people two books because as an academic and a nerd, I read a lot. And I think if anybody wants to know more or get more involved, there were some questions we didn't get to that touched on this issue of health and what is health. You know, a lot of people in the film um, were talking about this. I really would recommend this book by Francine Bacon. She's at the CDC. It's called Body Respect. Its subtitle is very long and it's basically what all the dieting and health books and health writers get wrong about weight and weight loss. So I think that that's a fantastic resource. And if anybody's struggling out there with this, there's the Body Image Workbook by Thomas Cash, which is just really powerful and really um, a great source of information about this issue and how you can kind of help yourself work through it. Um, and also NIDA, the National Eating yes, Disorder Association, absolutely. have an incredible 24-hour hotline that you can text. They have a great website, great resources on there. I would look them up. So with that, I'm afraid we have to end, but could you please join me in thanking Jenny and Meredith for joining us. Thank you.